Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, we've got a lot to cover today. We're going to take a look at where Coach Mike Gundy ranks among the college football coaches, according to CBS experts, as well as dive into an impressive streak held by the Cowboy football program. We will discuss a preseason sports magazine's ranking of the Pokes and finish with ESPN rankings of college football's top 75 quarterbacks of the 2000s. And I have a feeling we might agree on who we think the best quarterback is, but we will see. Uh, thank Maybe. you for joining us today uh, on the Believe in OK State podcast. We're going to take a quick moment to hear from our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season, everything from pro and college basketball to UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With bet, live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. Bet Online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to betonline.ag today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Betonline.ag, where the game starts. And Eve, Meg isn't here this week. She's on a worldwide Man. tour in Rome. Hey, enjoy Italy while you're out there. I heard that when you're in Rome, you can actually eat a bunch of carbs, but you don't feel heavy. Like, mm, I, don't, I don't know dream. if you've ever been to Italy, but it's like they eat carbs all the time. They drink a bunch of wine, but nobody's really obese. You know, you don't you don't see a bunch of overweight people. So just the ingredients, man. Hey, I hope you're enjoying. Take all that in, Meg, as you're listening to the episode this week. Take it in. We miss you. We're jealous. And, uh, you know, when in Rome, I guess. But uh, with uh, with this episode and next week as well, it will just be Eve Batoba and Justin Southwell. So your classic South Toba dynamic Toba. duo. That's right. But, hey, if you have some time, go on Twitter, search the hashtag South Toba, and just look at all the <laughs> tweets from over the years. Over the last Look at all the years. dumb stuff we've been saying. Yeah, of course. We've used the hashtag South Toba. For gosh, at least a decade now. So. <laughs> at least we've been, we've been rolling. All right, well, let's get started. We got uh, CBS. All right, they ranked the uh, Power Five college football coaches entering the 2023 season. Now, these rankings can waver from year to year based on how that following season was, uh, and I guess the perceived state of the program. So, Coach Mike Gundy is found at number 17 in the rankings, down. From number 10 last year. So do you think that this is an accurate ranking or do you think he should be higher, lower? What do you think, Eve? It's so interesting, man. This whole game that we play, this sport that we're a part of, it is all about what have you done for me lately? So you take a look at a guy like Coach Gundy, who took over the program in 2005. And ever since then, we really haven't gone below seven and seven and six. Right. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we finished seven and six last season. That's the worst since he took over. And the program has been so strong. I don't think that there is a replacement for consistency. And what really, really trips me up is whenever you look at some of the people who they put ahead of Mike Gundy, like 
Dave Clawson over at Wake Forest is on there. You know what I mean? Like, you have some people who have gotten fired and hired and fired and hired. Lane Kiffins of the world. I understand that he's an offensive genius, but whenever you look at the body of work over time, how can right. you put some of these people ahead of Mike Gundy? Now, I mean, I get it. You know, one of the biggest things that people look at is, hey, on the biggest stage, when everything is on the line, how is it that you perform? And that... It's probably the biggest ding against uh, Coach Gundy over the past, you know, yeah, twenty that's years. It's a fair point. I mean, you he's had he's been he's put himself in the in the opportunity, like given himself the opportunity, and then sometimes gets it done, sometimes doesn't. Uh, most recently, with uh, even before last season, but the Big Twelve Championship a year ago, and it's like how much of it is really Coach Gundy's fault versus the turnovers because of, you know, Spencer Sanders versus the play call at the goal line. You know what I mean? It's like, what can you do about that as coach Gundy? But ultimately the responsibility falls on you. But, um, you know, looking at this thing, I noticed that Kansas state's Chris Kleiman jumped 19 spots from last year to number 12 and Sonny Dykes jumped 24 spots to number 11. And, this is what I'm talking about, that recency bias, because Gundy is three and one versus climbing, but now each of each of them only have you know one big twelve title. Uh, but I, I'm a, I agree with you, Eve. Like I feel like based on the full body of work, Gundy should be ranked ahead of those guys. He is the best coach in the Big Twelve. And it's just a matter of, like you said, winning those games in clutch situations. Now, I mean, you do have to factor for recruiting. Right. I think recruiting is going to count for something. So when you take a guy like you mentioned, he's the best coach in the Big 12. But whenever you take a guy like Sonny Dykes, who comes from SMU, first year at TCU, two years in a row, has a good recruiting class. And now, you know, in his first season, is able to take the team to the playoffs. Now that brings in a whole other factor. You're like, OK, I, maybe you can make a case, like an actual case for why, you know, Sonny Dykes is number 11 and Mike Gundy is only number 17. But you know, it, it's, it's kind of hard to defend that because one of the major parts of being a head coach in college football is how great are you at recruiting? So he did get outperformed by Sonny Dykes on that standpoint, um, which I know we talked about this on a different episode, but my goodness, the guy at Texas Tech comes in and here he is having the second best recruiting class in the Big 12 Conference. And he just got here. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. how does that happen? So right. I don't know. I mean, you can you try to figure out who is it that you look at. Do you look at Mike Gundy? Do you have to go and look at administration? Do you have to look at um, the athletic director? Because as we've seen in the past with Mike Holder and people of the past, recruiting budget really wasn't that wide open. So things have started to change, but yeah, we have to get um, a little more innovative and creative in how we go about acquiring players from high school and in the transfer portal. Right. And Eve, you mentioned earlier, um, it, it was that full body of work with coach Gundy over his, what is it now? 18 years of coaching. Yeah. Um, the Cowboys are number two on the longest active winning seasons in college football. Wisconsin is number one with 21 consecutive seasons. Uh, we had our chance to knock them off from the top of the mountain in the bowl game last year. Couldn't get that yep. done, unfortunately, but I mean, Oklahoma state comes in at number two, with 17 consecutive winning seasons. So we're ahead of teams like Bama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, 
OU, Texas. But in that same time span, each of these teams has won a national title or two or six. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> so, for real, that's what counts the most. It's crazy, right. man. I mean, like, yeah, it, yeah there's, there, there's something to be said about the consistency 100%. Yeah. At the end yeah. of the day, what are you judged by? Right. I mean, yeah, you're judged by wins for sure. And then people who end up winning an actual championship tend to get on a different class, right? Like the standard is different at an LSU where Ed Orgeron can come in, win, get a national title. The next season has a winning season, but still gets fired because there's a certain pedigree that they hold uh, these different coaches to. And I think that, you know, because our program has suffered for so long and people remember the days whenever we weren't able to pack out and sell out Boone Pickens Stadium and mm-hmm. they remember the days. Well, I guess it wasn't Boone Pickens Stadium. What, Kyle Field? Whoa, sure. Lewis Field. We're talking about, yeah, I got Kyle Lewis. Yeah, yeah. That's Lewis right. Field. Weren't <laughs> able to do all that. And now you get to this point where you're starting to see that taste of success. And people who are watching in the 1990s and the early 2000s tend to be kind of, okay, yo, we're we're – we're not where we used to be. But then you take new fans, like even if you consider myself, I know I played at Oklahoma State, but I didn't even start watching OSU until 2008. Yeah. Okay. Like, think about that. Zach Robinson, Brandon Pettigrew, Des Bryant, Kendall Hunter, Russell Lacoon. Those are the first people that I remember watching at Oklahoma State. Right. You had Tyler Lacey. You had, or not Tyler Lacey. You had the cornerback Lacey. You had Parrish Cox. Like those are the people that I was introduced to when I started watching OSU. And all I know is minimum nine wins. So now it's a yeah. matter of, okay, so if we're, if that's the standard that I'm used to, how do we elevate that? And the only way to elevate that is to be a, a regular contender in the playoff conversation. Man, that's, that's crazy. We, we mentioned the one Big 12 championship. It's kind of weird though, because like I was looking at the, you know the past Big Twelve championship games, and to think we won it in two thousand eleven, but there wasn't even a Big Twelve championship game, and I feel like if we would have had that extra game, that would have been enough to push Oklahoma State above Alabama for the chance to play the national championship against LSU, just by having that one extra game, that extra addition to the full body of work and fully believe we would have beaten LSU come on Uh, and maybe maybe this whole conversation is different because coach Gundy has won more by being able to recruit more over the course of that recruit better over the course of that time with a recent national championship under his belt but uh yeah I mean look it definitely would have been looked at differently because the the big games are weighed so heavily, not just in the mind of these voters for these different lists, which, you know, how much value are we actually putting on these lists, but sure. definitely in the minds of those who are considering us for just national prowess. So as a team like Oklahoma State, when are we on TV? When are we on the primetime game? I tell you what, every single year, the biggest game is the one against your in-state rival. Right. So when you actually look back since Gundy has been the head coach, Shoot, if you go back to Gundy's playing career, if you go back to him as a coordinator, I think we're averaging, what, one, half a win per decade? Mm. <laughs> you know, we're averaging half a win per decade. That's pretty dang sad. Bro. Like, I don't think we we beat OU any time in the 2000s. In the 2000s. Yeah, we did. It was like 2002 and 03, we had like the back-to-back with Les Miles. But, oh, we had a back-to-back. That's right. But yeah, that was yeah. right before Gundy became head coach. 
Yeah, so O two O three. Yep. So you got a win, two wins there. In the twenty tens, you got two wins. What was it? Was it O two O three? O one O two maybe? I can't remember. But yeah, back to back because we had Rashawn Woods. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, yeah. That's right. I, and yeah. Now you have the twenty twenties where we don't have one yet. So I mean, yeah. I mean, what are we doing? And then they're about to leave the conference. Honestly, with no, yeah, with OU being down, like that's the tough, the tough part. It's like with them I, being down. I, and I get that games, they're historically, yeah, historically a great program, but take advantage when they're down. Like this should have been the year, and I get all the injuries, all all that crap. But man, that one hurts, hurts. We don't have to talk Absolutely. about that. Let's just, we and, just and keep talking about it. Hurts uh, more. <laughs> it. It hurts even more when you look at. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about the primetime games that we saw from that other school whenever I was at school. And I remember them going to Florida State and playing against. I remember them going to Tennessee. There was the big OU versus Tennessee game before yeah. conference play started. And OU ended up winning that game. Right. So you take a look at all this stuff. Unfortunately, that school just has more respect than we do when it comes to the national crowd. And because they yeah. freaking show up and I hate to say it. I really do hate to say it because you know how much I dislike them, but they're going to get that respect. And when you look across the country and you look at college football programs that share the same state, there's always one that just garners more respect than the other, even whenever the other school's down. Michigan versus Michigan State. Even the years that Michigan State was outperforming Michigan, Michigan State wasn't getting no love. No, you know, for USC sure. 100% agree with that. You know, USC versus UCLA. USC, for whatever reason, was always like in the top 20 rankings all those years that they were stinking it up, you know? Yeah. And UCLA, even though they could have been better those years, Chip Kelly and all that, they weren't getting as much love as USC was or at least talked about as much. Michigan, or what is it? We got Ole Miss versus Mississippi State. There was a nice mm -hmm. little like three, four-year run where Mississippi State was just a better program than Ole Miss. But Ole Miss still gets talked about some more. And the reason why is because they've had a resume of winning the big games whenever they count. And that's what gets kind of frustrating, right? Like take a look at yeah, Texas versus sure. Texas A&M. So whenever Texas and Texas A&M were in the same conference, UT was the one that tended to win a whole bunch of those matchups. But A&M leaves, they go to the SEC. But now A&M is actually getting a lot more love now that they're in the SEC and UT stays in the Big 12 Conference. I think it's because of that separation and they don't have to face each other. So the best thing that could be happening for OSU is freaking OU leaving, going to the SEC. And if we're able to mm -hmm. reclaim or at least claim the title as the top dog in the Big 12 Conference like we should, then we'll be all right. Yeah, and I, we really need to revisit that probably next episode because I really want to talk about exactly what you were referring to. I mean, the in-state programs, rivalries across college football with conference realignment, how that's affected. Uh, we kind of have a great case study as far as, you know, Texas A&M and Texas, like you just said. But, I mean, Iowa, Iowa State, kind of the same deal. But, I mean, Michigan and Michigan State is a perfect example. Michigan State, I think – was one of the first teams that made the college football playoff. And it was like, okay, but everybody like nationally really only cared about Michigan and Ohio state. Right. <laughs> so crazy. yeah, it's like you have such an uphill battle to like, just, you have to be so good consistently to, to overcome that narrative. And um, yeah, it's, it's like, it's, there's it's, not it's, enough. Yeah. Room you can't, yeah, for, I mean, you for can, two you can, great programs or something, and unless you you're like Florida, right? Like historically, like Florida right, it has to be a massive state. Miami, yeah. that's probably the only anomaly. 
but like Pittsburgh, right? You got Penn State and the University of Pittsburgh, two different conferences. Nobody talks about freaking Pitt ever, right? It's always Penn State in a national conversation because that tends to be that's like the school of the state of Pennsylvania, right? So that type yeah. of stuff, man. It's 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 an uphill climb. You gotta be Ohio State if you want to have, you know, it's like Penn State, Ohio Nebraska. State, you know. Those are the teams that are over the yeah. It's, there's no Nebraska State, you know. So all, exactly. all the state schools, like, like yeah. LSU, like LSU, you have a ton of LSU. Uh, so yeah, with you Oklahoma State though, I mean, for Michigan State, for example, going back to that, it's kind of like you can be good for one year and then drop off. Nobody thinks about you anymore, but you got to be consistently good, like your in-state rival. So yeah. I feel like Oklahoma State was there for a long time in this last decade, right at the precipice, we and then continued to lose to OU even whenever they didn't have some of their best programs. Like there was that weird hurdle that we just never got over. So I don't know. Yeah, With them man, leaving, we'll see it. We'll see how it goes. But it's, it's, uh, whenever I got there in 2009, I remember going to the senior banquet where we're honoring all the seniors. And I remember somebody, uh, I, I can't remember who spoke, who emceed the night, but they were saying this is the winningest class in OSU history. And then boom, everybody graduated. You know, Everybody was honored, yada, yada, yada. The following year, 2010 season, they said the same thing. This is the winningest class in OSU history. That was awesome. It was like, oh, wow, we did it again. The following, the year after that, this is the winningest class in OSU history. So you take, you know, 9, 10, 11, or 8, 9, 10, 11, winningest classes in OSU history, and then you haven't heard it since. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, uh, you know, yeah, 2012 was not the winningest class in OSU history. That was my final season. I'm like, oh, sorry, we, we didn't do it. <laughs> we didn't do it. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah, you just eventually you tap out, you know, but uh, you can only, you know, get to a certain point you can't go undefeated for four years in a row and if you do then there's nowhere to go but down Maybe you're anyway. alabama. I'm just kidding. <laughs> alabama ohio state <laughs> um we all right <laughs> well let's go back to you know talking about some more preseason rankings we had athlon sports magazine who released their college football preseason rankings and it doesn't look like they see things the way a lot of oklahoma state fans do uh, so i saw from uh, go pokes or the Pokes report that uh, Oklahoma State sideline reporter Robert Allen mentioned a great point that, um, you know, it's hard to hold these magazines to as high of a standard now for accuracy because of the NCAA transfer portal. And um, apparently uh, some of the Oklahoma State depth chart was missing uh, some starters. And, uh, you know, I feel like, yeah, it's going to be really hard to be able to predict accurately what the Cowboys are going to look like, especially against, you know, the rest of the competition that may have full roster spots. So I, I don't know, like it's, it's just not a great look, but Athlon projected OSU to finish 45th nationally eighth in the big 12, but they did project a seven and five finish, which still has them betting the over. If you want to look at that laughable six and a half wins from Vegas odds makers, but, Eve, I don't know, right. man. There's there's not really a ton to say about this. I, I just really only bring it up to say, like, this is expected to be what we're going to hear for the next – until we can prove them wrong. Because, like, this is aligning exactly with what the national media believes about Oklahoma State. I think it's all due to a misunderstanding of where Oklahoma State's football program is. And um, 
I just, I don't see that. I don't see it that way, but I mean, I yeah, understand God, it look, at the same time, you know? <laughs> here we are coming up towards the end of May. School just let out. We're still months away from football season, right? We're four months away and people got to have something to write about. <laughs> you got to have something to actually talk about. It, and this is what they're going to talk about. I don't put much value on this. I really, really agree with what Robert Allen said about this. Like beat writers know best. Beat writers have relationships with the program. They know the coaches and other directors and even the players. National media hardly knows what they're talking about, as you can see by them putting players that aren't even on the depth chart. I remember whenever NCAA football was still a video game. Yeah. And the rosters would come out and you would take a look at everybody that was, you know, on the roster. I'm like, yo, that guy graduated last year or this person left two years ago. That's all national media that ends up doing that stuff. No. I don't know how it works. I think there was one year in there. I wasn't even on the – I wasn't in the video game. Every other year I was, though, but there was one year I just wasn't even in there. Uh, and I was like – Man, there was, uh, there was one year that uh, they had him on there. I saw number 85, wide receiver. I was like, yo, it's me. And as it turns out, it was Josh Stewart. And they just didn't have the right dude. number for him. Yeah. <laughs> like, dang, what? Y'all don't know. Yo, oh, his, arms weren't big enough, bro. his arms weren't big enough to be you. No, so you yeah, had to – Crank up, crank up the arms to 100. Um, right. Man, that game, I can't wait for it to come back. It's uh, supposed to come back summer 2024. My hey, let me tell you, I know this, is this is not a part of our notes. We weren't supposed to be talking about this, but that year, whenever J.W. Walsh was a starter and the video yeah. game was still out, that's probably the best we ever looked in those video games for whatever reason. Like We were pretty freaking dominant. What was it yeah. the 20, 2012 season? Yeah, 2012 season. Uh, yeah, 2012. I mean, the last one that came out was like 2014. Um, gotcha. but yeah, so so it was 2012. JW Walsh was a starter, and you had uh, I know it went back and forth between Walsh and Shelf. Yeah, they did, Walsh, they did some going back and forth, and then um, in the backfield, you had uh, Joseph Randall. Joseph Randall was a uh, number one playing running back back there. That was probably one of the best teams, man. I think Jay Stu was the number one receiver on the team at that time, so he was an impact player in the video game. Man, I can't <laughs> wait for those to come back, man. Hopefully there's a bunch of new upgrades. Those NCAA video games were so yeah. much better than the EA, uh, EA Sports Madden ones, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Without a doubt. I, yeah, I can't wait for that to come back. Well, yeah, uh, sorry, completely sidetracks based on what we were talking about. But, yeah, the uh, whole point of me saying that was that national media doesn't know as well as the actual local sure. media does. And when Can it all comes down to it, when it comes out to it, bro, the players don't pay attention. Like, do you, no, do you remember? Sure. No. Do you no, remember? I mean, ever no. Like, too busy. You know, too busy as players. You just got to head down, grind it out. And then you got, you know, school on top of all that stuff. So not yeah. reading everything that comes out. I mean, you might see a tweet here or there, but for the most part, I mean, guys that are and it's mostly personal tweet, right? like a tweet that's related to yeah. you or a story yeah. that was written about you. But right. small, the biggest thing that I remember in the media when I was a freshman, and uh, it was so funny, I was walking by the D line side of the locker room, and I remember on TV Russell Okung popped up. All right, and you know he was on the team at the time, and he was projected to be the number one. Uh, lineman that was going to get drafted and mm -hmm. some ESPN foot like ESPN college or something like that. They were doing some feature on him. So he pops up on the screen and the whole D line room goes, yeah, big Russ. Yeah. They're all cheering. And then immediately after him, 
Zach Robinson just pops up on the screen. I think he was talking about Russ. And as soon as Zach pops in, I remember Chris Donaldson, defensive tackle out of South Carolina. He goes, boom. <laughs> Obviously, he was joking around, right? But I yeah. remember, like, only memory that I have of, like, us paying attention to the media as it pertained to Oklahoma State football. But all in all, man, just head down, just just working. That's the only thing that matters. Yeah, and but it is nice whenever – Sorry, I was just going to say, did anybody anticipate in 2010 that we were going to be as good as we were? Like, uh, no, right. because I think with uh, – 2009, we had higher expectations because yeah. Zach Robinson was returning, Des Bryant returning. Kendall Hunter, Brandon Pettigrew, like we're pretty looking pretty good. All right. So we were on, I think, a preseason Sports Illustrated cover, albeit yep. regional. Started but the season. Zach Robinson was on there. Game. Andrew Lewis, the center, he was on there, featured on there. And started the season, like you said, beating Georgia. Yeah. But then we lost to Houston like the next week. And then the whole debacle right. with Deion Sanders and Des Bryant, NCAA. Uh, so all of that happened. I think that in 2010, I don't remember there being that much hype. And I then we ended up taking off. And then there was more hype surrounded around 2011 for sure. Yeah. But there was also kind of a sense of, man, Oklahoma State was looking really good in 2010. And they still couldn't beat OU at home. Like, what are we going to expect from them in 2011? The same thing, because OU is coming back, too. Like, they're looking great with Landry Jones. and Do we Ryan play him at home back this year? Yeah, it was back-to-back for that because some conference realignment stuff, I think, was starting to happen with TCU, West Virginia. They were on the way. Um, yeah. Wasn't it A&M and uh, Nebraska? Yeah, A&M and Nebraska left. No, A&M and Missouri had left. Before that, yeah. I think it was like Nebraska, yeah. Colorado. Yeah, Maybe. Nebraska left after the 2000. Oh, wait, no, because we played Nebraska in old. We played in, we played them in 2010. That was wow. That was so we had, a, we had an exodus of four teams there. Goodness gracious, right? bro. That's freaking crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. We're going to have to, we'll, we'll circle back around to that because I feel like there's so much that's relevant back then that there can be. And yeah, popping up now again. For, yeah, for a conference training alignment now, but. For this episode, we'll stick with uh, some rankings, and we've got the ESPN's Bill Connolly revisited his top quarterback rankings now that more quarterbacks are eligible for his list. So he expanded it from 60, I think, last year or two years ago. I don't remember. Uh, but now it's a top 75 list, and I'm, I'm glad he extended it to 75 because our boy, Brandon Whedon, would have made the cut. Uh, he comes in at number 71 on his top 75 list. So so this Quick is stats. the best QBs since the year 2000. Is that right? Best QBs since the year 2000. Strictly college. We're not even bringing NFL into the discussion. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Whedon, they have listed here 2008 through 2011. Of course, he really only had 2010 and 2011, and maybe you can sprinkle in a, a half of football in 2009. <laughs> um, right. But – with what he was working with, 9,260 passing yards, 70% completion rate, 75 touchdowns, 27 interceptions, and one rushing touchdown in his last game against Stanford. 
recency bias, maybe a little bit on my side, but um, TCU's Max Duggan placed several spots ahead of Whedon at number 62. He had similar passing stats from 2019 through 2022, but he only had 60% on the completion rate. And I don't know, I guess they gave him the edge because he's kind of a dual threat quarterback. He had the uh, 1,800 rushing yards, 28 rushing touchdowns. So I don't know, maybe I'm a homer, but I, I think I'm going to take Whedon over Max Duggan pretty much every day. Like, I don't know. A thousand percent. Yeah, a thousand percent taking Whedon over Max Duggan. Um, he was a better prospect even coming out of college because of what he did in college. And I think that he made our team a way better team, right? Like he oh, made yeah. our pass protection better at pass protecting. He made Justin Blackman a better receiver. Um, you know, Justin probably contributed to him being a better quarterback as well. And, you know, you've heard me say sure. it time and time again, and I'll say it again. Justin Blackman is the greatest college wide receiver of all time. Yes, that includes Calvin Johnson. Yes, that includes Larry Fitzgerald. I will stand by that. And I got facts to prove it. That's probably for another episode. But yeah, I mean, the fact that Wheaton is all the way down there, what the heck are we talking about? I think Wheaton was a better quarterback yeah. than uh, Mason Rudolph. But you know, you see Mason Rudolph right. on the list. And yeah, they're looking at the full body of work. And I, I get it. But at the same time, you really can only I feel like you have to consider that it's really just those two seasons. Because if Whedon had played all four years, oh my gosh, like, come on. But like you said, Mason Rudolph. What, why are we yeah. looking at a full body of work if you're considering who's number two on that list? Cam Newton. Cam Newton is being judged yeah. off of one season. Now, right. Granted, I, I'm definitely going to pull that up. Yeah. Probably one yeah. of the greatest seasons ever. In my opinion, the sure. number one quarterback since 2000 is Cam Newton. Like, it's, it, it's hard. It's hard to all say right. it's not him. We'll, we'll circle back around. You mentioned Mason Rudolph real quick. He landed at number 56 on the list, which is actually one spot ahead of legendary quarterback Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> uh, 2014 through 2017, 13,618 passing yards, 63% yeah. completion rate, 92 touchdowns, 26 interceptions, 17 rushing touchdowns. He'll sneak in yeah. that thing. He was sneaky with the rushing touchdowns. Um, probably one of the best deep balls in college football history. But – you know, that's all. That's those are the only two quarterbacks on the list for Oklahoma State. Um, yeah, I'd be interested to see where Spencer Sanders. I don't know if he'll make the list or not. Depends on how good of a season he has this year. But yeah, he'll be listed as an old Miss quarterback. So, based on yeah. stats alone, full body of work, he's got like what six seasons to go off of. So he's going to be up there yeah. as far as passing yards, rushing. He's a dual threat quarterback. So I can yeah, see but that. a lot of that too has to do with impact, like impact on your team. I don't know where a guy like Geno Smith ranked on the list. I didn't get to actually see the full list. But I remember outside of Whedon at practice, Geno Smith was probably like one of the best quarterbacks that I remember seeing out there mm. on the field. Like that dude was freaking impressive during that, what was it, 2013 season? My goodness. Uh, or sorry, 2012 season had in 2013. Like that was – yeah, that was a masterclass the way the way that I see it. Um, so I don't know where he ranks on that. I don't know where RG three ranks on that. I don't. Put I was going to say, would you put him ahead of RG three? Oh yeah, Geno Smith is ahead of RG three as far as college quarterbacks, okay. in my opinion, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. But nice. again, that's my anecdotal experience with the different QBs because every single time that we played RG three, we just kind of made him look pe uh, pedestrian. <laughs> 
<laughs> we did. That's true. Geo, we really did. I company put up like 600 yards of offense against us. I mean, we still ended up winning the game, but golly, that was a lot of freaking well, like yards. Most of it came, I think, in the fourth quarter when we had our third team defense in there in 2011. But Unbelievable, bro. Unbelievable. Um, so anyway, like you were mentioning, the list ends with number three, Vince Young, number two, Cam Newton, and number one, Baker Mayfield. Uh, what a joke. But uh, I guess whenever you win – uh, Heisman Trophy and three Big 12 championships that propels you to the number one spot. I don't see it, but that's me. Uh, right. I and, would and I, just take a look ahead. at those top three guys, okay? Yeah. And look at the teams that they had Vince Young, straight first and second rounders. Bro. Okay. You got uh, Baker Mayfield, first, second, third rounders. Cam Newton took a bunch of guys who were working nine to five jobs as soon as they graduated <laughs> to the national championship. Yeah. And he won the Heisman in a way to doing that. Without Cam Newton there, there was no Auburn football that season. In my opinion, yeah, it ain't even No, close. that's a fair point. Now, for me, like you said, it is really close. But for me, uh, Baker Mayfield is absolutely the outlier here. Uh, I would put Vince Young at the top. And I only say that because beating USC on the brink of their third national title in a row versus Cam Newton just playing Oregon in the national championship. Now, like, well, it was also it. Alabama Oregon. in the SEC championship game, right? It was like, well, the, the they played him the last game of the year, yeah, or, or the last regular season game of the year. I think they had South Carolina, yeah. maybe, for yeah. the uh, because, but yeah, they they beat Alabama, but. It's kind of like really before Bama started being Bama. I mean, they were on right. their way, right? Like they were, they were right there. Yeah. They were on the edge of that. I think but, they just lost to Utah the, the the year before, or maybe it was that year during the bowl game. Yeah. So, like you know, Oregon in the national championship. I get that they were good that year, but they're they just weren't at that same level as like what USC was. And Vince Young, similar to Cam Newton put the team on his back. So yeah, he did. I, it's almost, it's almost like one, a one B for me, but I'll go Vince young ahead. Uh, Cam, you know number, who, Cam number two. Yeah. If you're, if you're talking strictly big 12 conference quarterback between the, in, in that era, uh, a guy that I remember watching when I was a freshman at OK state, it was uh, my retro season. So I was just watching from the sideline was Colt McCoy. Whenever they came up yeah. to Stillwater. And they played us. They beat us pretty handily. And Colt McCoy just looked so impressive. Like, I don't think his numbers were that great. He threw for like 230 yards or something like that. But the command that he just had over that whole team was so evident every time he stepped on the court. I thought he actually looked bigger on the court and up and that on the court on the field. And that probably <laughs> had something to do with just like the aura of his leadership. But man, yeah. Colt McCoy, and he's still in the NFL to this day. Like that's crazy to think about. He's still playing right now. Nice. But that guy was a good freaking college quarterback. I mean, you know, going to the he was a freshman whenever he took him to uh, I guess back then there wasn't no title. There wasn't a playoff, but um wasn't a playoff, whatever. but he, he made it into the national championship. It was, it was, it was a big BCS right. bowl game if it wasn't a national title. But I think it was the national way, title. He got hurt. He got hurt, and that's basically what led Bama to win. No, that wasn't th that wasn't his freshman year. But I'm saying, like, from the moment that he was that he okay. started, he's just had yeah. command over that entire program, handled it yeah. with a whole bunch of dignity, class, and you know that led to, of course, a national championship that never was. 
Ah, poor Texas. I don't feel bad for you. No, I don't feel bad for you. But you know, I was I was a Colt McCoy fan uh, at, whenever I was growing up. So as a freshman, being on the sideline watching Colt McCoy, I remember. I think Earl Thomas had a pick six against us during that game that he returned for a touchdown, and I was just like, "Oh, you gotta be freaking kidding me!" You know what I mean? But I, yeah, that that was one of those games. Uh, you know, I, I, I've told you before, bro. I was a big Texas fan growing up. Right. I wanted to go to UT. I guess whatever didn't make the cut. But, you know, went two and two against UT while I was at Oklahoma State. So it was high. That's all right. Yeah, I think for me, probably that, around that time, the same same time frame it would have been. But Tim Tebow was kind of the guy that I was like, you know, looking up to. I was like, man, this guy just came out of nowhere, putting Florida on his back. So I don't know. Like, I, I would hey. probably with a little bit of bias. Well, I don't know. It's not really biased, though, because he's got all the numbers and that can back it up as one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time, but I'd probably put Andrew him in three. Andrew Where do you Luck? put Andrew Luck? I think he was like number 18 or 17 on that list. Cause it was two years ago in, in 2010. If he would have left, he would have, he would have been the number one overall pick then too. He would have gone mm-hmm. to, yeah, I guess the 2011 season. He would have got drafted by the mm-hmm. Carolina Panthers. Number one overall. Uh, wow. Well, it would have been between him and Cam Newton. Right. Uh, so who knows what actually would have happened. That's but then, crazy. you know, he decided to stay one more season. And after that, right. you know, he got the Indianapolis Colts. I, I randomly think about Andrew Luck, like, on a weekly basis. I think, I'm like, <laughs> man, I wonder what he's up to. He's such a good dude. <laughs> yeah, a what a legend. Legend. All right. We'll wrap it up here. We got Cal- Cowgirls softball. Uh, they've moved on to their fourth straight Super Regional, hosting Oregon for a best-of-three game series starting Thursday. My guess is – Probably just going to be standing room only tickets. Uh, but if you're available, go support the Cowgirls. Should be a great time. And then Cowboys baseball earned a share of the Big 12 title after winning the Bedlam series. And so I saw on Twitter that Marshall Scott, I think, posted um, that OSU had outscored the Sooners 44 to 16 this year. <laughs> so. A uh, little shades it. of Bedlam football 2011 with that 44 up there. Um, so that was pretty good. But by the time you're listening to this, the Pokes will have already played the Sooners again in Arlington for the first round of the Big 12 tournament. Uh, so hopefully all went well there. And we'll Let's see go. the sport baseball team as they make the run to Omaha. I love it. Got anything else, Eve? That's it, man. I think that whenever Meg comes back, we just all need to rock our baseball jerseys. And, yeah, we're yeah. just going to show love to the baseball team, regardless of how they perform. Sounds like a plan to me. I love it. But, hey, everyone, thanks for listening to the Believe in OK State podcast presented by Bet Online. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, follow, and last but not least, go Pokes. Go Pokes. Go Pokes.